0: Hey, everybody. It's Matt here. And before we get to the episode today, I just want to invite you to slay this giant of sexual sin with us. I want to invite you to consider doing an event with us. We have so many different kinds of events that we could do. There's events for men. There's events for men and women. Events for parents, for youth, for young adults. There's Sunday morning preaching. Um, Some of the events that we do are for our one-time things, and some are weekend-long conferences. And so if this is on your heart, and you'd like to address sexuality and porn in your church, or in your circle, in your ministry, or whatever that might look like, Uh, I would invite you to go to restoredministries.ca slash events. You can see what's possible there with some things that we've done in the past. And we're also very flexible with working with different event organizers and and churches in what it can look like for their particular setting. And so if you have it on your heart to carry the message forward of, of freedom and wholeness and health over sexual brokenness, I would love to chat about what that might look like. Go to restoredministries.ca slash events, and at the bottom of the page, you'll see my email, and feel free to email me. We can hop on a Zoom call together and look at what doing an event together might look like for you. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey, hey, hey! welcome back to your Victory Podcast. Matt here, Brad here. And uh pumped to be with you. If you want to leave a review on an app that you're listening on, that would be awesome. That always helps. And uh it's cool. It's always fun for us. We were just always hearing from new people. But yeah, I was just searching for help or you know, or or like, hey, I just the one that I just recently heard was I was listening to a different podcast on pornography and then yours got shown in the thumbnails or whatever. I don't know how it works in all these apps, but but uh, that happens through reviews where we get promoted, and so if you're willing to do that, just pause the episode and leave a review or four star, five star, whatever you can do on the app. That'd be cool. So appreciate that. And and uh, yeah, we got some listener questions today. We want to work through. It's it's great to hear from listeners, and mm-hmm. and uh, so there's gonna be a couple different topics, which is good. And uh, if you have a listener, if you have a question that you want to send in. Feel free to do that. You can you can find our email in the show notes, and you can send um, send a, send a question. You can leave a voice memo. You can um, you can just write a question if you want to, and we want to answer whatever your whatever is on your mind. So, um, Brad, what do you want to do for the first question?
1: Yeah, let's start off with this one here. Um, it's from Matt. Yeah, oh, it was from Matt. It's from Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's asked the best questions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those Matts have great questions. Um, so we'll start off. So this is a great question. Matt, thanks for asking it. Uh, but he asked, based on 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 10, In comparison to the broader society's view, and some in the church, that men can help their lust, what is the correct view of this passage? Should we as men excuse ourselves from any responsibility towards self-discipline in the area of lust toward women? Is it all up to the women? So there's a, a few questions within that question. Um, but. Great question. Um, I think that we can start to try to chip away at some of those, but where let's begin, Matt. Answer, Matt.
0: <laughs> well, I think the first place we can go is we can read 1 Timothy 2, the verses that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so um, what it says is, is it says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And so how do we reconcile this? Are, are men void of responsibility? My answer is yes, we are. We are void of all responsibility. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's it for a lot of the listeners. Yeah. It's been nice knowing you. But, uh, no, I, you know, I, I like the last words in, in verse 10, in First Timothy 2, it says... Um, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And so what's appropriate for women who profess to worship God? This is really what he's talking about. And so with our clothing or the way that we dress and carry ourselves, it's not even just women, it's men too. What's appropriate uh, for people who profess to worship God? Because worshiping God is saying that we want to bring God into everything and we want to magnify him. And so if we're Romans 12 one if we're presenting our bodies offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to him which is our, our spiritual worship, it says, then what are we doing with our bodies to worship God if we're professing with our mouths to worship God, then what are we doing with the way that we dress and with the way that we carry ourselves? are we worshiping God in the way um, in in the with the clothing that we're wearing or or with our hair or whatever and so um, that's the attitude the specifics of it uh there's there's uh, obviously you know there's there's some instruction there but the attitude is is this going to glorify god and is this is where is this worshiping him um and are men void of responsibility of course the answer is no and it's important to realize that when there's biblical commands um you, you know there there's i remember there's a there's you know, there's husbands who have said, like, my wife doesn't submit to me. And it's like, well, do you lead her, though? <laughs> mm. Because the command to a husband is, lead, is, lead your, is love your wife. The command to a wife is respect your husband. Um, and so if you're upset that your wife isn't respecting you or that your husband isn't loving you, are you doing your part? And that's what's important with every biblical instruction is it's, if it's to you, it's to you. If it's not to you, then it's not to you. And so we, so this, this command or this instruction is written to women about how to dress and carry themselves. But for men, then we need to realize that we have responsibility to not look upon people just like, like it says in Proverbs about following this seductive woman, woman, and it says to not do that. We have responsibility, of course. To um, look right upon women who do come across our path that are dressed inappropriately, mm-hmm. and we have the responsibility to to speak into the lives of women who maybe don't know their value, and we can still bring God into mm-hmm. those moments, and um, and and tell them just kind of how we we what we think of them or what God thinks of them. If we don't have that opportunity, of course, we can pray
1: and just guard our eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great answer. And I think for any of you listening out there too, like if you ever are wrestling with things like this, there's something called hermeneutics. That's a big word. I'm not, It basically means how to read scripture properly in its context. And this is very helpful for us because we have to understand that Paul's instruction here to Timothy was written at a certain point in time and it meant something to Timothy. It meant something to the church in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring. And it meant something for that culture. It doesn't mean that we don't have aspects of this that we can learn from, of course, but we remember it was written to them at that time. And there are understanding that come for us out of that. But really what we need to know, if you think of the, the context of this, that will help our understanding of answering this question. These are all new Christians. This is in a sex saturated, sex cult kind of world that yeah. he's speaking to where, um, you know, what was normal, a man coming home from work You'd stop in at the temple, sleep with the temple prostitute as an act of worship. You know, do that as a regular thing. Orgies were something that occurred in that day and age as well. That was a very acceptable part of our of their society. So they were a very sex saturated sex crazed, I mean, kind of sounds similar to these days, but there were aspects to this. So when Paul's speaking to Timothy to instruct young women or women in general in this area, it's because there's people that are new to the faith that are struggling from their past. They have stuff from their past that, I mean... There, there were certain signals even. I mean, even in the Corinthian church, we saw Paul, Paul talk about head coverings for women to have modesty. And the reason why is because often when a woman was wearing her hair down in a certain way, there were signals given that this was, yeah. I'm open for business, right? You know, I'm, I'm here for your, yeah, to be used by you for, for this kind of temple prostitution stuff or, or prostitution in general. And, and so this is something that we have to think through um, of, wow, that was a cultural time at that point, and there's some meaning to what is being expressed here. But really what it comes down to is your attitude. Exactly. Um, what Matt, you're talking about is the same thing. If we had an alcoholic come into our presence right now, I don't think it would serve that guy very well if he's trying to follow Jesus that Matt and I open up or crack open a couple beers, right? It's it's the same kind of mentality, you know, am I helping my brother or sister out in Christ um, in the way that I my conduct is? It's really about our heart attitude. Now, that isn't to say, if you're a woman listening out there, that it's all on you and it's up to you to, to help these men in the sense that they're, they're completely hopeless, um, in the sense that it absolves them of all responsibility. No, that's not true. We are responsible for our conduct. And that's really the point of this message, is we're responsible for our conduct. So that people can take these verses out of a context in the sense of women dressing beautifully at all is, is, is sinful somehow. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Um, really, though, is the hard attitude we have. And, and that's, the, that's really the key, is, is am, I, am I uplifting and elevating those around me? And for us as men, no, we have to guard our hearts. We have to watch our eyes and we have to be able to move in the sense of following Jesus and seeing others the way that he does. And that's the responsibility on our shoulders because we can't bank on the fact that everybody around us, every woman around us is going to dress modestly. That is never going to happen in our world. I mean, wherever you live, if there's people out there living in LA or one of the warm climates, right, you know this, that's not going to happen. And, and so we can't demand that of people, but at the same time, what choices do we have? What are we doing in, in this, this sense? So I think that's really the, the, the key in this is, is understanding that what is our attitude and we do have responsibility for our own behavior.
0: Yeah, and I like what you're saying about the prostitutes, because that's true with the signals and stuff that people will give in the hairstyles and all of that. And so bring this modern day, like how how different are you from the world? And that's really what like not the only thing, but that's one of the things that, to consider. How different are you not just in the way that you dress, but what about the pictures that you post? Mm-hmm. Like there's too many Christians, I think, that put scandalous pictures on social media. They're constantly shirtless. The like guys are shirtless. Uh, if they're in good shape, if they're not, whatever, or like girls, girls in bikinis, like you got to realize what you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. And is this, are you different than the world or are you not? Like, are you modest in the way that you present yourself online or are you not? I remember there's this guy, he's not a believer, but he's putting all these pictures of his wife in a bikini. Um, and then talking about how hot she is on Facebook. And I'm thinking like, do you realize what you're doing in this lust sex crazed world? You're putting your wife out there mm-hmm. and so uh, he's not a believer it's a different standard but if you are like if if you're professing to worship god are you doing that with how you're presenting yourself to the world and so you can even take this beyond what you're how you're dressing and what you look like is like how are you presenting yourself in whatever way that is so um anyways good question mm-hmm. good question matt and then he had a part two is similarly in first corinthians 7 verse 1 to 9 where should we draw the line between self-restraint, and fulfilling a marital duty between a husband and a wife. So I just want to read read the passages that he's, or the verses that he's talking about. So it says, now for the matters he wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband doesn't have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and fasting. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you... And he's talking about being single. I I wish that you were, uh, that all of you were as I am and being single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So there's a lot in there. There's there's obviously there's nine verses. But just some of the context here is that this is chapter seven in First Corinthians. Um, chapter 6 in First Corinthians, which is obviously before that, is all about the covenant relationship that God has with us. And, and one of the verses there, it says that, that the Lord is for the body, the body is for the Lord. And so and that's talking about in First Corinthians 6 about the relationship that we have with God, where he wants to be the one to fulfill us and satisfy us. Um, it says at the end of the chapter that we, that we were bought with a price, so glorify God with our body. Uh, sexual sin is, is the only sin against our body. Every other sin is outside of our body. That's not speaking to health things. That's speaking to the covenant relationship that God has where our body is for him. And so when, when we understand a healthy concept of sexuality is to to steward our sex drive and steward our body in a way that is healthy with the Lord and he can be the one to satisfy, um, then we move to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, where then we're operating out of an overflow with our spouse. So now it's talking about sexual relations between a husband and a wife where we're not looking to them to fulfill our desires or and then if they don't we're not going to be okay. We're already fulfilled and therefore we can love from that place. We can love our spouse. And so we're another way to say it is we don't live in deficit because in the Lord we're satisfied. And through not living in deficit, now we're already okay. Like Paul talks about like I've learned to be content in every season whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, even if you have a little, if there's a little love or not much love in your marriage, um, you're okay in the Lord. And therefore you're not looking to your wife or your husband to fulfill your deficit because God does that. Now you can properly love your spouse. This is the context of this whole entire passage where we then can serve. And it's all about service. It's all about looking to um, to our spouse for their pleasure, not for our own. And so, and then there's cultural stuff too, Brad, and you can talk to that with the cultural stuff,
1: biblically and just what was happening in Corinth in that day. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of thing in the first question, um, yeah. similar region. Uh, Corinth might even be more advanced than Ephesus in some of these areas, but um, really uh, there there is this cultural brokenness when it comes to sexual relationships um, we know this in the book of the Corinthians uh, there Paul even brings up um, an issue that occurred between uh, um, a guy and his uh, his I guess it would have been his stepmother um, and uh, so there's there's issues sexually happening and so there's a lot of misunderstanding about what this looks like between husband and wife. And <laughs> sounds similar to these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And really, it's about what can I get? It's about self gratification in our culture and our world, very much like what was happening in the Corinthian church back then self gratification. What can I get from you? You owe this to me, or I need to get this from you. Um, and uh, my urges take precedent over your need. Um, my need takes precedent over your need. And so this is an upside down way of thinking that Paul's talking about here. Really, it is about serving one another. That's very countercultural. It's very countercultural then and now. So our understanding of our relationship with our spouse when it comes to sex. Well, in our world, it's about my happiness, my you know, my desires, what I get out of this. Really, it's a me, me, me focus. Whereas God calls us to another focus, um, to focus on other, to focus on serving another's need, and how we do that is by first looking to God, as Matt's saying, you know, it's Him who is sufficient for us, and as we receive the love that we need from Him, we're better equipped and able to love those around us, and our, you know, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, and our closest neighbor is our spouse if you're married. So in this case, how do we love our closest neighbor? It's really about putting their needs above our own. And so in this question here, um, where we find that line between self-restraint and, and fulfilling a marital duty, that really is probably the answer to that question is is, is, uh, and how we serve one another and and how we do that in love. And first off in a sexual relationship, um, within a marriage context, we have to create a loving, secure, safe environment for the other. and. Um, I know in this passage here, it talks about we only move away from maybe a, uh, um, engaging in sex together when we're having a time of prayer or fasting. So when we're focusing on a relationship with God. So there's not any more qualifiers to that. He gives a few of when we can do this. But really the point is, is that we're called to love one another in this way, but not demand anything. And I think that's the thing is we do not demand something from the other. Um, if we ever get to a place where we're demanding something... We have no longer created safety or security in our relationship. The other feels like their needs don't matter anymore. They're being trampled on or they're a doormat. So, um, when it comes to these things, we might have to exact self-restraint for a period of time, for sure. If there's no safety in the marriage relationship, our marital duty in that moment is to come back to that safety. That's right. And, And so if you're in a situation where there's porn, where there's been infidelity, or there's been any kind of break in the trust of your relationship we do not demand that our spouse fulfills their marital duty to us instead we got to work towards fulfilling our marital duty to them which is creating safety and security again and with the restraint we may need to provide is first seeking god in this but through prayer and fasting but then also creating space for our spouse to come back to a to a place where they're open to to um, engage in in making love again these are difficult conversation times sometimes that we have within the context and nuances of marriage because there's, there's times where one doesn't feel safe. And this is really hard. And, and especially if someone's battling porn, maybe you're, you're working towards freedom or have some level of freedom, but your spouse still doesn't feel safe. Well, they need healing too. And we have to show them love and concern and care and not demand that they fulfill some sort of marital duty to us through sex. Yeah. We have to be um, very kind and loving towards them. And I think that this verse speaks to a lot of that i mean we can not reading into this but we can we can look that uh when we're we're putting another's need above our own when we're you know we're called to fulfill our marital duty which is to serve another um and look to god first then these are just natural understandings that we can come to that this is what god is calling us to
0: totally totally yeah and this is obviously talking about sex when it's talking about Marital duties, conjugal rights—different translation. It's obviously talking about sex, but what Braden is saying is absolutely accurate. In in that, if if there's a struggle and if there's trauma or you're in a sexless marriage, your marital duty is to figure out how you can love your spouse and how you can value your marriage to the point where you can have a healthy sex life, and that is your marital duty. You're fulfilling your marital duty in that because sex is the culmination. A healthy sex life is the culmination of. Of all these forms of intimacy coming together, spiritual intimacy and emotional and all of this. And so if you can if you're struggling in your sex life, your marital duty then is going, Okay, in order to have a good sex life, what do I need to do to love my spouse today? The line between self-restraint and fulfilling a marital duty, sometimes I think we think that God is a prude and like he just wants us right. to steward our sex or our bodies and not act out. Like no, he's like, don't even come apart for that long. Like I want you guys to have sex mm-hmm. in your marriage. Like that is that is self restraint. I guess or not restraint, but like self, you're you're stewarding your body when you're when you're having sex, godly in in and in you're your helping
1: marriage. your spouse out in that as well. Totally you, for
0: sure, exactly, yep. exactly. So self restraint is. I always say it like this: individuals, we don't have sexual needs like if you're a person where you're like oh i just have a high libido and i'm like grumpy and all of that when i don't like you have emotional yep. problems your high libido is not your problem you're you're immature that's your problem just to put it bluntly <laughs> and so we need to we need to grow in spiritual and emotional maturity which is two of the most most neglected areas when we're when we have addiction for so long and so if your high libido is not being met and then you're grumpy and all of that, you you need to figure out emotionally and spiritually how to just be okay. And individually, we can't claim that we have sexual needs. Marriage though has sexual needs. If we want a healthy, godly, good marriage, intimate marriage, Mm -hmm. our marriage has sexual needs. So self-restraint and all of this, or 1 Corinthians 6 is like, self-restraint is going and having covenant relationship with God where we're not living in deficit. But then from that point, in our marriage, then we can pursue a healthy sex life in our marriage because in order for marriage to prosper, that is something that's essential. So that authority thing too, that it talks about in those verses, Braden,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I remember like there's there's various guys I've heard that say like, hey, I've said to my wife, like, hey, your body is for me. Like, it, you know, I mean, we say that jokingly. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say to Louise, like, I just think she's a factor. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, my body's looking yeah. good today. Hey, baby, yeah. but I'm talking about her body. Yeah, <laughs> And so we, we joke, but but our body is not, or their body is not ours for the taking, mm-hmm. where we can do with it what we want. If yeah. you think about God has authority over us, but what does he do? He doesn't make us do things. Mm-hmm. He draws us in with loving kindness, and he loves us before we love him. And then he gets us to a point where we want to open up to him, and then we we love him. And so that's that's what it's talking about with the authority thing is that people that I'm not married to, I don't have any right or authority at all to touch them at all. And maybe I could like give people a hug or whatever, but sexually, there's no right there. Yeah. With, the, with, with Louise, with the person that we're married to, we do, we have authority to do that, but we have authority to serve that person in a way that they love and then to serve their body in a way that they love. And it's all about what they love and their pleasure. And we get to be part of that not, hey, your body is for me and I have right. authority over it. And so come and give it to me.
1: Yeah. So like when you're reading this passage, people that are reading this in a bad way, I mean, taking this in a way that isn't good or what God calls us to is typically what we'll do is we'll read it um, in a sense that I have authority over you, right? And then I'll demand something based on that, the way that I'm reading it. But if you actually read scripture here, like in the first Corinthians 7, 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. That's for wives to read. You know what it is for me as a husband for right. kristen right. the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife so the first part there doesn't pertain to me that pertains to kristen that's my wife my part is she has authority over my body so that's the part that's for me i'm not called to demand something from her if anything i'm in in service i'm in sacrifice to give my body to her mm. and that means so much that doesn't just mean sexually that means Um, in my thought life. It means in my integrity, in my day-to-day. That means in the way that I um, lean into the commitment that I have to her, Um, not only in the verbal choice, but in my actions. Am I showing that I'm committed to her? Am I showing her that I love her? Am I showing her that I'm serving her? That's what that verse is for. So we can't take these things out of context and read into something that isn't for you. And, and demand something out of that. And that's where so much damage is done in marriage, where damage, specifically sexually, has happened so much down through the generations of husbands demanding something from their wives, and their wives feeling like they have no voice, that they don't matter, that they're just simply a vessel for the husband to use for their own self-gratification. That's so sad that that happens, and vice versa that can happen too, But. I'm speaking as a husband. I've seen this. Men take this verse out of context and demand something. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to lay our life down as Jesus laid his life down for the church. And so that's what what scripture calls us to do. So really, let's let's as men acknowledge, hey, we gotta we gotta own maybe that we've had some misunderstanding in this area. And we gotta come to a place where we're following actually what God is calling us to and not demanding something and move to a healthier place sexually. And it's so much better when we follow God's way, what he lines up for us in his word, versus our understanding and taking it out of context and misusing it and causing abuse in our, in our relationships. Let's do one
0: more question. We got time for one more, and then we'll go part two. We'll, we'll preview some questions for mm-hmm. next week. But uh, how do I overcome the shame and the identity issues that come with
1: sexual addiction? Oh, that's an easy one, eh? (laughs) That's easy. That's easy. Good question. Well, uh, I mean, I think that overcoming the shame and identity issues with sexual addiction, I mean, when we start to think of the fact that shame is part of what's going on for us, that's a good start to where we need to... Um, uh, understand. I mean, we got to know where we're starting from to get to where we want to go. And yes, shame is very much wrapped up in this battle with porn, um, and that it does attack our identity. And when we are working from a place of shame, and our identity is attacked, and we think we don't have what it takes, we think we're worthless, we think that we have no value, we'll just continue to go to our drug of choice and go through that ongoing cycle of acting out, doing better for a while, feeling bad, acting out going through that cycle over and over again because we're so wrapped up in shame and we think that the behavior, looking at porn or masturbating is our issue, but really what's going deep down is our shame. And so um, overcoming shame and identity, that isn't something that we can do on our own. We can't overcome shame and identity on our own. We have to make choices to move closer to God who gives us our identity and speaks truth over us. And instead of shame, he gives us confidence in who he is, confidence in who he says we are in him, and understanding the value and worth that we have, and that um, we have been bought at a great cost in the sense of our salvation and our relationship with him. But not only that, the way that God sees us through his eyes uh, of someone loved, and um, that has incredible, immense value. And so this is something that can only come from God. And that's a very, I don't want to be simplistic or glib, but really i mean matt you'll probably expand more on this but that's we we need to look to jesus um to no, overcome anything and in this in this specifically this thing
0: it's true i mean god does have the answer and he is the only answer um i like it that adam adam's the one who sent this question i like that he he attached shame and identity because it's always attached mm-hmm. um and so i like that the question wasn't just how do i overcome shame but there's an understanding there from adam that, that shame and identity Um, And and that both are affected by sexual addiction. And so, you know, Brene Brown does a lot of research on uh, vulnerability and shame and stuff. And so what she found was that shame grows in silence when we have secrets and when we, when we carry a lot of judgment, self judgment, or we, we hold on to the judgment of others. Um, That's where shame grows. And so how it breaks through her research is through receiving love, through receiving empathy, and through having a restored identity. And when I look in scripture, I see all of those things. I see God restoring our identity. I see Hebrews 4, Jesus has empathy for us. He was tempted in every way. He didn't sin, but he has empathy for us. And he has, and even practically, I mean, there's so many people that come to him in sin and in shame in scripture, and he has empathy for them. He looks on people with compassion and with with pity and all of these things. Um, And so he, and and he loves them. Like there's love. And, but the thing is this, we're not willing to, or able to receive those things unless we're opening up. Once we open up, then we can receive that woman who was weeping so profusely weeping. Her tears were wetting Jesus feet. Um, You know, she came like she didn't hide in her house. She came to the Pharisees house where Jesus was having dinner And she showed up and she was there and she didn't feel like she could look him in the face. It it says that she stood behind Jesus, but Jesus turned and he looked her face to face. And he was like, man, like you, not man, I guess, but woman, you came to the degree that you thought you could. That's how open you were. You didn't think you could be fully open, but you at least came. You didn't come hiding your stuff. You didn't come and put on a fake face and just pretend everything's okay. Okay. You came in your brokenness and now I'm going to turn, I'm going to look you face to face and I'm going to love you. I'm going to defend you to the voices, the judgment, uh, the voices of the Pharisee. And he speaks truth and he speaks love and he says, go in peace and, and all of this. And so we need to be willing to be broken. And then the last thing uh, that that I'll say is, and when I say willing to be broken, we're all broken, but like willing to present our brokenness to others and to God. Um, But then the last thing I'll say on this is that we need to really dwell on this stuff too um when we're when I'm doing coaching with people and they hear from the Lord, I always ask them like, How does that make you feel? And the reason is because we're so led by our emotions in life, and when our emotions are contrary to uh the spirit, then we're a lot of times we just give in to sin or temptation or self condemnation or whatever because emotionally that's maybe an escape or that feels good or it just feels right, maybe feels justified. But when we get a word from God or we realize a truth and then we let that really like sink into our hearts, we dwell on how we feel, then our our emotions are more in line with the word of God. And so you need to dwell on it and you need to really let that sink in um, when you get a revelation or when you hear God's truth, uh, when you hear what God says about you, you in prayer or in scripture or when... God sends someone to you to speak identity or give you love or give you empathy. Like really let that sink in and dwell on the emotions that that makes you feel and dwell and and just like dwell in Thanksgiving and praise God for that. Because the more you can sit in that, the more the shame starts to go. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, really vital that we do that. Um, I may, may have shared this before. I don't remember, but I remember just one last thing to wrap up. I remember this vision that I had during a worship set nine years ago and it was the father. He was really, really big. My eyes were closed. I just, in my mind's eye, saw the father really big above me. And I was really little. And I saw the words love, love, love dropping off the father and hitting me. And every time the words love hit me, I would see words fall off of my body. And the words were things like insecurity, impurity, lust, greed, all of these things. And so when the, the love of the father came and hit me, then, then the dirt in my life fell off. And so it's something that we need to be willing to dwell on where we dwell on the love of God instead of justifying it away because he must just be disgusted with us because of our sin and our shame. And so hope that that helps. Next week, we have more listener questions. We want to answer questions about Reconnecting with your spouse about or uh, after becoming free from porn, how to handle long dry spells of sex, where, where sexless marriages basically. Questions about initiating discussion discussions with your wife when there or or with your husband, of course in marriage where there's been maybe tension or there's been been betrayal um question there's a question on fasting and pursuing wholeness or intimacy with god and wrapping our heads around god's love and so we're going to answer these questions if you have questions that you want to send in we just encourage you again to do that go to the show notes you'll find our emails and uh, if you want to send a voice memo we'll we'll put that into the podcast but if you don't you just want to write it that's fine too so hope that helps and uh, we'll chat next week god bless